We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The Field of 68 Media Network presents Red is the New Orange, a Syracuse basketball podcast. Vince intercepts a pass, breakaway for the freshman guard, he flies and slams! Aerial assault from Judah Vince! Looking to go back door to Bell, they get it to a near corner three, knocks it down! Chris Bell, the sharpshooter! Bringing you everything you need to know out of the 315. Up top, Williams searches ahead, up with the right hand and in! A pretty up and under move from Benny Williams to beat his man. Over to Taylor, he skips into the lane, puts up a floater, and drops in! Let's get it started with your host, Ian Unsworth and Johnny Gadamowitz. We are back after a little holiday hiatus. Ian Unsworth, Johnny Gadamowitz. You know what it is. It's red as the new orange. A Field of 68 podcast. Drop us a follow, F68 underscore Qs on Twitter. He's at Johnny G Wits. I'm at IUNZY, that's U-N-Z-Y underscore on Twitter. If you're looking for us on YouTube, the Field of 68 Podcast Network is where you'll find us, along with plenty of other great team podcasts for your aunts, uncles, cousins, whoever's visiting your home for the holidays that isn't an Orange fan. We got you covered, along with the Field of 68's main channel that's got After Dark, as some of Rob Doster, Terrence Oglesby, John Fanta, Jeff Goodman, and the like, spouting off about the best of college basketball. We're going to get into it here right away because, Johnny, we've got a great conversation to bring to the people with Mike Waters of the Post Standard and Syracuse.com. He's been around for a long time, and he knows Syracuse basketball inside and out. So we're getting his confidence ratings on some midseason takes after the non-conference slate. To wrap up that non-conference slate, Syracuse played Niagara last Thursday, the 21st, I'm looking on Ken Palm here, Johnny, and the win meter or Ken Palm's projected to win is flat. Literally just this flat line. Syracuse was supposed to win this game. The Orange won this game. However, not in super convincing fashion because the walk-ons were not in and the Orange were outscored 26-25 in the last 10 minutes of the game. So another one of these non-conference wins that just leaves a bit of a a bit of a question mark when when it's all said and done I think question mark is a good way to phrase it Ian I think you allow 43 points in the second half to a team with the resume and quality that Niagara brings to the table this year that's a problem and as we'll talk about with Mike coming up shortly Red Autry was certainly not afraid to address that really from the jump of his post game press conference. One thing though that really concerns me even beyond the 43 points allowed in half number 2 and sort of a contributing factor to those 43 points is the fact that yet again it was another team another game where this team did not show an ability to get after it in the rebounding battle. Right. You would have asked both me and you going into this game. Hey, do you think Syracuse is a is a squad that, you know, when they go up against the Purple Eagles could finish the game plus 10 plus 15 on the glass? I would have said absolutely. All told, plus one. They almost got out rebounded by this Niagara squad. We got a we got a Gadamwitzism like about two minutes in, folks. We've already got an all told on the board. Put it on all the board. Told. Chalk it up. There's all told. But yes, even with Malik's Brown, Malik Brown's smaller size, seeing more minutes, 
you have to create some breathing room on the glass. This team hasn't really shown an ability to do it. That could be a very big problem moving forward for Syracuse. Niagara seven footer Harlan Obia Oha um, played 11 minutes and only got two rebounds. So it wasn't like he was wrecking shop. Um, my concern, if we're starting there, is Luke Bumble. <laughs> um, it sounded like, it, I mean, he was the only guy scoring in the first half for Niagara. And Red said as much at halftime, we got to stop the one guy that's making shots. But I think he had 17 of his 26 in the first half or something. He had, he had made five threes before the under four media timeout. And that was the only thing keeping Niagara remotely close in the first half where the halftime score was 38 to 28. They were up 10. Yeah. If he doesn't have that first half, Syracuse could have been up 16 or 17, maybe even 20 at the break. And it never felt like a game. Let's be clear here. This wasn't a game where Niagara pulled it down to four and Syracuse made for like this game was not close, but it shouldn't have even been this close. That's that's the only reason Johnny and I are up in arms here to start. Let's go to the positive though, because it's yeah, always we gotta nice give to the glass there. half full. We should we should be we should be grateful and thankful around the holidays. And you know what? I we should probably relax a little bit on this team because at the end of the day, nine and three, no losses where you're overly concerned, no wins where you're super optimistic. And again, Mike Waters will give us his thoughts on that. But Judah seven for twelve, Malik has a fantastic game. That's the that's the the highlight performance. Yes, Cordier Copeland is good again, and he he continues to be a driving force for this team in the second half with eight assists. But Malik Brown was the star of the show against Niagara because he was almost perfect. Did not miss from the field. Made a three, like a, just a wide open three pointer. Like Jesse Edwards, Jesse Edwards three pointer last year. Yeah, was one of those like as the hey, shot clock wound from? down, like he had to take that three. Right, Blake Brown just why? Why not me? Why Let's not take the range a little bit? Keep the defense honest. But ten rebounds as well, and this just is, a, I think, a continuation of the fantastic non-conference slate Malik Brown has had. He makes winning plays, and there's never really a spot where he has been a real major issue for this team, right? I know I was pretty critical of him when we did our pick and roll coverage breakdown, but mm-hmm. those, those lapses have gone away as the Syracuse season has continued. And it just shows how quick of a learner he is. And again, it exemplifies why he was on the floor so early last year. Yeah, I think that's a great point, Ian. I'll zoom out a little bit more. Malik Brown fits into this narrative perfectly. I'm going to go with, look, this is now two straight games where this Syracuse team has put up 40 plus bench points. Obviously Brown is the headliner there, but the fact that this team has so many different guys they can rely on, even guys that are not in the starting lineup that can step in and can give you offensive production. All these discussions we've had about starting lineups, who should be seeing lion's share of the minutes, make no mistake. We might frame it in a little bit of a negative light. These are good problems to have. Kyle Cuff's giving you seven points off the bench in 18 minutes. You take that and you run with it. Even Benny, six and 12 minutes on two of four, right? All trending in the right direction, knowing that, okay, if someone has an off night, you call someone else's name, someone else's number, and you're not necessarily going to see an extremely steep drop-off in terms of what you're getting. Am I saying Kyle Cuff is J.J. Starling? Heck no. Don't get it. <laughs> that is not what I'm saying. But at the same token, being able to rely on different guys and sort of have that ace up your sleeve, that's something that Syracuse has shown they can do time and time again. Guys come off the bench, and they're not lacking in energy. They're engaged. They're ready. They know the scheme. They know how to get open shots. They're, the drop-off isn't there, as you said, Johnny, but the energy is, and it's not. Yep. It's above and beyond. And we went. I think we talked about this when we discussed Quadir after the after the Oregon game. Just the energy that he brings and the enthusiasm that he brings to the floor. 
is what Syracuse needs sometimes when the offense slows down, when it gets the ball gets stuck in someone's hand. You need that sort of uh, person who's not afraid to create and also make a mistake every right. once in a while because Quidditch will make mistakes, but at least they're fun to watch. Yeah, you got to <laughs> take the good with the bad. There's there's never a Quidditch mistake where I I throw my hands up in the air. At least it's it it's entertaining. It is sure as heck entertaining. And and that's something that I really do enjoy and I think really brings some light to Syracuse basketball that, that's been missing over the past year or two when we talk about the SU offense. All right, let's zoom out here a little bit and let's bring in Mike Waters, our conversation with him coming up. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. We roll on here on Red is the New Orange, a field of 68 podcast. Ian Unsworth, Johnny Gadamowitz with you as always. You can follow us on Twitter, F68 underscore Cuse. And we are joined by the Oracle of Syracuse basketball. He's been writing about it for longer than Johnny and I have been around on this earth. Mike Waters of the Post Standard and Syracuse.com. Thank you so much for taking some time, Mike. Uh, happy to join you guys. It's great to talk basketball. I don't know about the Oracle part. Um Maybe old, but uh, I'll take Oracle. We'll we'll go with a good Matrix reference. Does or does Scribe? I don't. I didn't. I didn't want to go for Scribe, so I, I went for Oracle instead. But one of the two has to suffice. <laughs> well, we'll take Oracle. Uh, a Scribe is, sounds more like um, Red Smith or um, Grantland Rice, right? <laughs> yeah, the, the, those guys were constantly, constantly writing. You, I mean, you do everything now, so. With with that in mind, we wanted to put you, I guess, you know, on the stand and put you in the confidence meter. So we're going to give Mike some statements here about Syracuse basketball's non-conference slate, what he's seen and heard from Red Autry thus far. And he will rate it with the confidence meter, five being supremely confident that whatever whatever take we Mike will hold up. And if it's a one, eh, Mike's not so confident. So we'll start here. 
Syracuse had some big wins over the non-conference, whether it's LSU in the ACC-SEC Challenge first ever, whether it's Georgetown on the road against Ed Cooley, or Oregon in South Dakota, of all places. But Mike, how confident are you that those non-con big wins hold up when it comes tourney time? Probably around a one and a half or two. Um, Not a good start. Well, even right now, if you look at the net rankings, uh, only one of those wins is above quad three. I mean, Oregon is a quad two win right now. Georgetown is not having a great season. It was good to get a win on the road against a team from a power six conference. So that's nice. But I think right now it's a quad three or quad four win. LSU, similarly, is not having a great year. And since that win came at home. Again, it's a, another good win. It's a, it's a team that's got a recognizable name and everything. You know, and the other part of that Oregon one is like right now, of course, Syracuse, Syracuse fans are going to be hoping that Oregon gets healthy and, and gets better and improves over the course they're of not, the year. They're not getting healthy. Well, we have to hope some of those kids come back because uh, you need Oregon to, to do well. You need Oregon to at least keep that win in the quad two sector. I think at the beginning of the year, you were probably thinking, yeah, yeah, if you beat Oregon on a neutral floor, that's going to be a quad one win. So, you know, it's it's given us a little bit of indication of where Syracuse might be. But in terms of their NCAA tournament resume, so far, maybe only the Oregon game is the only one that's really going to move the meter. And, of course, a whole lot can happen between now and then. Uh, but Mike, sort of, you know, looking still in the rearview mirror as far as these games that that have occurred and what we've seen unfold from this team so far. Me and Ian have discussed this on this podcast before, where it sort of feels like a lot of these games. You know, you rewind earlier in the year, Colgate, even before that, Canisius, right? Maybe weren't as sweat free as some Orange fans might have hoped. How confident are you in this team's ability? to sort of rise above and and play above its level of competition moving forward. Again, I'm going to split here and I'm only at about a two and a half. You know, you're right. We we sort of forget some of those games that really weren't all that long ago. You know, you mentioned the Colgate game and the Canisius game, you know, Syracuse had their struggles. Similarly, the way they handled uh, Niagara, didn't instill uh, you with a lot of confidence. Didn't instill me with a lot of confidence. They let Niagara hang around. Uh, Adrian Autry was not a particularly happy man after that one. He didn't like the way his team handled a double-digit lead going down the stretch. Uh, just if you let a team like Niagara hang around, then how are you going to put an ACC team away? You know how are you how are you going to battle an ACC team down to the horn, uh, final horn? Really. You know, they, they haven't been in a lot of close games. You know, it's either been a, a, a nice, easy win. I mean, even the Georgetown game, you know, they handled down the stretch. LSU, they, you know, blew LSU's doors off. Uh, you know, they beat Oregon pretty badly. I mean, the one game where I think they showed me something was being able to come back from 24 points down against Colgate. Now, the bad side was, is you were down 24 points to Colgate. The good news is you came back. And really, at this point, 12 games in, that's the game where they saved their season so far. You know, we're still discussing things like, you know, can they get to the NCAA tournament? Can they work themselves onto the bubble? Where are they exactly? Had they lost that Colgate game, uh, we'd be talking a lot differently. The Niagara game also, I think, exemplifies something that's really shifted this year is Coach Autry's willingness to talk about the bad and be more free with it. At least from our perspective, going to press conferences last year as students, there was always a bit of a contentiousness between Coach Beheim and all of us and you know some of you guys as well in the professional media sphere. But this year, Coach Autry seems just to be more open, which I do get a kick out of. And especially coming in saying, we, we didn't play well, but look, I'm going to lay it out there on the table and have no bones about it instead of working our way around things. You know, uh, your all's experience with Jim Beheim might be a little bit more limited than mine. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, you know, Jim could be very critical 
of his team and his players. And he would offer some harsh criticism. You know, Adrian Autry's criticism the other day against Niagara was a fair and honest critique, but he didn't get real harsh and he didn't get personal with any particular player. Jim could. Jim was also was the ultimate contrarian. If he came into a press conference and the question came from one of us about how poorly the team played or, hey, you know, were you happy with the way the team, you know, played down the stretch when we all know they didn't play well down the stretch, he would give us the opposite point of view. Like, not he wouldn't want us to be critical of the team. That was his job. So if we were critical of the team, then he would defend. And we we used to do that dance a lot with Jim. Or if we were complimentary, then he would be critical. That Adrian Autry press conference after the Niagara game, he set the tone. He came out. It was in, it was his opening statement. I, mean, I think I loved his opening line where he said, well, this is going to be a little different today. Because up until then, he had not really come into a postgame press conference and been really down, you know, critical of his team. But he was still upset with the way they had played down the stretch. And uh, sometimes coaches, Jim was great at this. He would talk to his team through the media. He would set a narrative. He wanted messages to get back to the locker room. He knew the TVs were on in the locker room. He knew the team sometimes was hearing what he was saying to us down the hall in the workroom, in the media workroom, right? So he he knew what he was doing. I don't know if Adrian was actually, you know, actually doing that. He's new to all this. Jim was pretty savvy about it. And sometimes we didn't really understand all of Jim's methods. You know, sometimes when we're like, man, was he really, you know, critical? We're like, he meant to be. He wanted to be because he's sending that, he's driving that message home. Something he probably told the team in the locker room, but then it hits a little different when you know he's, oh, geez, he's saying it to others too. (laughs) It definitely always felt very calculated and, you know, as if there was sort of a purpose behind everything. And and similar, I think it's a similar narrative with with Autry too, obviously just in a little bit of a different facet. Mm -hmm. Uh, Mike, you know, something that's been well documented about this team so far here is, we know Judah Mintz is a superstar. Where does Syracuse get its production after that? So next up on our confidence meter for you here, we'll ask you this. How confident are you in, in the emergence of kind of a bona fide secondary scorer as conference play gets underway? Uh, being a tough grader here, I'm probably going to go somewhere between a three, three and a half. We haven't seen one player step into that sidekick role. I hate the sidekick, you know, like Batman and Robin. And I actually used that trope about a week or two ago before the Niagara game, looking for that number two score to mince, where Judah has been there pretty consistently. It's really, I think, just the Chaminade game. And there was another game where he was in South Virginia, of course. Now, Chaminade, Chaminade didn't hold him to single digits. Judah chose to be in single digits that day. Virginia was a tough day for him. So really, out of 12 games, he's had one bad game. That's pretty consistent. And and your one bad game is on the road against the best defensive team in the conference, against the best on-the-ball defender in the conference. Tough day, whatever. Move, let's move along. That second guy, they've been getting guys to step in there. But it's not been one guy. It's, some days it's Chris Bell. Some days it's J.J. Starling. One, once or twice early in the year, it was Justin Taylor. So, you know, who is that second guy going to be? You know, the other day against Niagara, it was Malik Brown, of all people. Um, so... It's good in a way that they're getting got different guys who can do it. Would I be a little bit more comfortable to see one of these guys do it on a more consistent basis? Yes. I think that's why I'm hanging around a three and a half here. I, I do like the fact that they got, got different guys who can contribute. But um, JJ's starting to get closer to consistent level of play after some bumps early on. Chris Bell didn't have a good game the other night. You know, he's definitely still uh, up and down in in terms of his score. But, you know, on a given night, Chris Bell can get you 20, 24 points. But, you know, again, I'd like to see consistency. And and we got to remember, too, these guys are all sophomores. And while a lot of them did play a, a good bit last year, consistency is the next is the usually the last thing that comes to college basketball players. And and usually that's. For a lot of guys, you know, unless you're just at a different level and you, and you get there as a freshman, and that's rare. Um, it's it's that sophomore season where you begin to see consistency. So let's see what happens here as we turn the page on a new year. 
And I guess he could go ahead and throw Justin Taylor in that conversation too. And, and Mike, just to sort of follow up on that, I guess sort of the natural follow-up then would be, you know, do you think that that kind of revolving door, that taking turns, so to speak, of whose turn it's going to be, you know, to be that 1B or or number 2, whatever you want to call it, in your eyes, is that a sustainable formula? I know obviously you said the consistency preferable, but to what extent is that okay kind of moving forward, the nature of that revolving door? You know, I I like being, you know, a versatile team, having an offense that's got a little variety, uh, multiplicity to it, not just one or two guys. If it's if it if you're relying all the time on two guys and one guy gets shut down, you're gonna lose. Now, if the other team comes out and they want to ball hawk Chris Bell and take him completely out of the equation, it's kind of nice knowing, well, we can get scoring from Justin Taylor or JJ Starling. I really like, I think JJ's the one I'm looking at that I think can is closer to that consistent level that he can get there. And you, you, you put aside those first four or five games out of the season when he was struggling from three point range. Now that he's hitting a few here and there, he's looking good. So I, I like the idea of like saying, okay, the other team's got a game plan to take away guy A or B or whoever. We could hurt him here. There's something else we can do. I mean, really, the I think the only guy Syracuse, you know, can't win without is 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 Judah. And listening to the TK99 broadcast of that Niagara game, one thing Tim Leonard brought up, which I don't think has been discussed that much in the Syracuse sphere, is JJ's shoulder problems last year and how much they changed his shot and sort of just affected his mindset as a scorer at Notre Dame. And so that was interesting for me to consider kind of zooming out and reconsider, like rethinking JJ's role. And now that he's getting back to shooting a bit more consistently, maybe he takes that big jump forward as he finds a shot. Yeah, I agree. Uh, my colleague at Syracuse.com, Donna DeToda, new hall of famer, by the way. Yes. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, she wrote about JJ's uh, injuries last year at Notre Dame and how it had impacted his shot. And he had been struggling to find his old form again. And it's hard to do when, you know, you really have to break things down. I mean, you, you, I think that's why we all mar- mar- marveled years ago when Tiger Woods rebuilt, uh, you know, his, his stroke. I mean, you just don't do things like that. And that's what JJ is having to do now. To see him go one for 18 from three-point range to start the season was a little shocking. Uh, but since then, he's really been knocking him down. And I still don't know if the shot looks exactly right. But if they're going in, that's a good sign. And, yeah, but I, I saw J.J. play in high school, going back to his freshman and sophomore year at Baldwinsville High School before he left the area and went out to uh, La Lumiere out in Indiana for his last couple of years. <laughs> when J.J. was a freshman and sophomore in high school, he shot the crap out of the ball. He was a great shooter. I mean, um, I don't know who I could liken him to, but he he could just pull up and stroke it. Um, so it was shocking to me to see where his shot was. And I think a lot of it did have to do with the the shoulder injury that he went through in his freshman year at Notre Dame. He's definitely shooting with more confidence, and he's not thinking as much. So that's a big step forward. Yeah, that's what down. he told Donna, too. He said he was in his head. Yeah. When you get off to that kind of a start, you know who else it happened? It happened to Buddy Beheim his freshman year. Buddy Beheim, of all people, maybe, you know, one of the best shooters in Syracuse history. I forget what he was his freshman year to begin that year. And he said the hardest part was stop thinking about it. Because, you know, you, you get off to that kind of a start. You, you, you know you're thinking about it. And, you know, oh, geez, I'm one for eight from three-point range. If I make one, my next one, I'll be at 20%. You know, when you can actually do the percentages in your head, it's not a good thing. <laughs> Moving down low, Mike. There's clearly been a split in minutes between Naheem McLeod and Malik Brown. And to anyone watching, clearly one has been better than the other. And maybe that hasn't been the preseason outlook that Syracuse fans thought they'd get. When it comes to ACC play, how confident are you that the Orange can hold their weight down low? Good question. God, where do I want to put this one? Three? I'm thinking three. I am not as down on Naheem as a lot of people. And yeah, Malik's got some better offensive numbers. Of course, he's coming off a great game against Niagara, 15 points, uh, six of six from the field, actually made a three. Um, that was interesting. 
you know, he's more athletic. He can do a little bit more for you defensively, but here's he's been the thing. great defensively getting like, he's like top 20 in the country in steal rate per Ken Palm, which is nuts for a big. Yeah, he's tied with Judah Mintz for third in the ACC in steals. And uh, I looked this up the other day at the request of a reader. Um, the last time you had a Syracuse player averaging more than two steals a game and more than two offensive rebounds. And he asked me about those two statistical areas because those create extra possessions for you, right? An offensive rebound, extra possession. Steal, it's an extra possession. So two, two, two steals and two offensive rebounds a game. He's doing that right now. The last guy to do it was Todd Bergen as a senior in 1998. So it's those little bitty stats that you don't, you know, hidden stuff that can really swing a game. And, you know, maybe can at some point swing a tight, close game if Malik Brown gives you two extra possessions or three extra possessions. It can help a team that sometimes struggles in the half court. You know, you, some of those times are, are, are times when you get an easy bucket and you're not going up against another team's half court defense. Going back to the original question of the centers. Don't discount Naheem McLeod. It doesn't result in statistics when you take up space it doesn't result in a real statistic that you can that would, that's easy to see when just by staying between your man in the bucket and putting your hands up he misses the shot right and how many misses has Naheem forced when he's just in there now is it frustrating sometimes to see a guy of his size get out jumped for a rebound yeah but at seven foot four and he doesn't really have that quick twitch muscle He's a big guy. He's he's going to get beat off the floor sometimes for rebound. Is it frustrating? Yes. Naheem's job then is to turn around and once again get between the guy in the basket and put your hands up. And sometimes that put back, put back basket doesn't go in either. You know, he's in his limited minutes, he's ranking like fourth or fifth in the ACC in blocks. And there's going to come a time when you're going to want his big body out there to stay between Armando Bacot in the basket or DJ Burns and the basket, or Quentin Post of Boston College. Now, Quentin will be a challenge. He likes to step out every once in a while. But I tell you what, it's seven foot tall. When he goes inside, Naheem McLeod's going to be the guy you're going to call upon. The other thing, too, it gives Syracuse a chance to use up some fouls. Big guys get called for fouls. So big guys get called for fouls early in the game, too, when the referees want to, quote, unquote, set the tone. I don't want to start Malik Brown undersized at center against Armando Baycott and have Malik pick up two fouls before the 16 minute mark. Let Naheem get in there, push back on Armando. And you know what? If you go inside Naheem just once or he gets an offensive rebound and goes up and Armando wants to hack him on the arm. Great. Foul on Baycott. Uh, but yeah, let, let, while the referee sorts out those first four or five minutes, let Naheem do the dirty work. And I, you know, so I, I still think I like the tandem. I like having different guys. And another guy to watch at center combination. When he's feeling good, when the back's not bothering him, Munir Hema can help. And he proved that in that Georgetown game. He's a little bit more athletic than the Heem, but he's just as good a shot blocker. And I think there'll be another game or two down here uh, over the course of the season where Munir's going to help. So then you have three guys and 15 fouls. Moving right along here on Red is the New Orange. As always, Johnny Gadamowitz, Ian Unsworth with you. We're joined by Mike Waters of Syracuse.com. And Mike, maybe every Syracuse fan's new favorite player over the course of these last couple of games appears to be Claudier Copeland. We'd be remiss if we didn't ask you about him. To what extent, how confident are you per se that Copeland is not just a flash in the pan here, but but somebody who can really kind of do this consistently and be a true option on this team. I'm getting there. I'm getting there. I like to quit here just as much as anybody else who watches him. You know, when he's going good and, and providing energy, he's as fun to watch as any Syracuse player that comes to mind in recent memory. Um, I thought going into the season, he was going to be a key guy in terms of what Red Autry was going to do defensively. He wanted to play man-to-man. He wanted to be up-tempo, wanted to be aggressive. And Quadir can guard three, sometimes four positions without having to worry about it being at a disadvantage. He can guard point guards, guard, you know, twos and threes are obvious. He can guard them. And he's at 6'6 and, and pretty well built. He can hang on, hang, hang, you know, hold his own against the power forward, maybe not for an entire game, but for half an offensive possession if he gets switched. That's okay. He's good. And that helps you play that way. To see what he's helping them do offensively is a little bit of a surprise. 
And he really hasn't shown the development in the three-point shot that the coaches tell us they see in practice. They say it's coming. But even without knocking down some threes, he's creating some stuff on offense. Of course, his assists are amazing. His turnovers are frustrating. I want to see him do it against a good team. He's He kind of epitomizes Syracuse, this, this team in general. We, we, we got to get to the point in the season where we know a little bit more about him. And, you know, to this point, Quadir has played good against the bad teams and not great against the really good ones, kind of like Syracuse. Syracuse hasn't lost to anybody bad, but have they really beaten anybody good? Because even that Oregon team, as we talked about at, at the start, they, you know, they're down a few guys. So where are we, as you know, as a team, Syracuse? Where is Quadir as a player? We'll find out real soon. <laughs> well, we certainly know where Judah Mintz is. Um, I mean, I think now four or five games in a row, they've regurgitated the stat about him just being just behind Zach Eady in fouls drawn and free throws made. And we know he can get to the bucket. We know he can score. But Mike, last but not least here, how confident are you that Judah can win ACC Player of the Year? Oh, He's going up against the likes of R.J. Davis, who's been nuts over the past few weeks. You got the P.J. Halls. I mean, Blake Hinson's taken every shot, he, every shot he can find every time he catches the ball. And you mentioned Quentin Post earlier, and that you can't sleep on him. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. You know, as great a season as Judah is having, unless Syracuse moves into the top four or five teams in the league, I think it's going to be hard for him to get that kind of an award. Is he all conference? In my opinion, yes. Right now, he's easily first team all ACC. To get that player of the year thing and knowing that the, you've got a, a Southern-based voting block, shall we say, <laughs> um, how do you edge out a R.J. Davis at Carolina or a P.J. Hall if either of those teams are top three in the league? You know, how do you beat out a Kyle Filipowski you know, if Duke wins the league, I mean, I go back to last year's ACC freshman of the year voting. I voted for Judah Mintz freshman of the year. I'll say it to everyone. You know, I got into Twitter arguments with people who said I was a homer or didn't know what I was talking about. And I'm like, listen, I know Filipowski had a great year. Judah numbers were either equivalent or maybe even a titch better. And that's why I went with Judah. Because um, he was also having to do it as a freshman on a team that was struggling for a little bit part of the year. Filipowski was playing with a bunch of other McDonald's All-Americans around there. Um, but, you know, people wanted to argue with me, and that's fine and dandy. Um, but just knowing the way that that'll go, I mean, P.J. Hall's having a great year. And if Clemson continues to roll, you know, he deserves it. You know, he would deserve the award the way P.J. Hall's playing right now. And, and same with some of these other guys, you know, you, the, all the guys you mentioned. Filipowski, R.J. Davis, P.J. Hall, Quentin Post, um, Blake Henson, Judah Mintz. I think, you know, geez, we, we're leaving out Reese Beekman. You know, and his scoring numbers aren't going to be up there with these other guys, but that's because of the way Virginia plays. But, you know, Syracuse already played Virginia down there. Everybody, you know, we all saw how good Reese Beekman is, right? We, you, know, you watch a basketball game with him playing in it, and you're like, yeah, I think I found the best guy on the floor. <laughs> and it doesn't take very long either to figure that out. <laughs> <laughs> So with all that being said, Mike Waters is somewhat confident on Syracuse's ability to keep on scoring, very confident in the big men and somewhat on Quidier Copeland. But for the team as a whole, you want to see more. Yeah. Yeah. We're at the halfway point or not even the halfway point. So, you know, what? Mid, I hate midterm grades. They're, 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 they've got a shot. They haven't hurt themselves yet. They have it's a the progress, progress report, we'll That's call it. That's what it is. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> 
So, Mike, we'll check in with you after the full season. We can certainly update these things and put A's and B's. I don't know. Maybe there's an F out there somewhere. Let's hope there's no F's. We don't like F's. And we'll also have to burn this tape so we don't all look like idiots. <laughs> well, I guess I guess that's part of the gig. And you know what, Mike? Either way, the laughs are totally worth it. Thanks so much for joining us. It was a pleasure, guys. Y'all have a good one. Happy New Thanks, Year. Thanks, Mike. Appreciate Thank it. You, Mike. Happy New Year. As you guys know by now, we've partnered with BetMGM Sportsbook for this college basketball season. We're going to be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks and predictions throughout the college basketball season. And we are going to have special offers for you, the listeners and the viewers on the field of 68, each and every week during the season. If you haven't signed up with BetMGM yet, use the bonus code FIELD1500 and you will get up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager on BetMGM Sportsbook. Here's what you got to do. Download the BetMGM app. Sign up using the bonus code FIELD1500. Deposit at least $10 and place your first wager on any game. You will receive up to $1,500 in bonus bets if that bet loses. Just make sure you use the bonus code FIELD1500 when you sign up. And remember, BetMGM is now available under one wallet in select states. As a New Jersey resident, this is super convenient for me when I have to go cover games in New York or Philly. When cross the state borders, just log into your existing account instead of having to create new accounts in each state that you go to. And most importantly, I got to let you know, we do have some fun stuff coming up for this college basketball season. Bet insurance tokens, college hoops odds boosts, my personal favorite, parlay odds boosts. So download the BetMGM app today. Very insightful stuff from Mike Waters. Always great to hear from someone who has been around the Syracuse program for that long and knows it inside and out. Uh, Johnny, we didn't get to ask him that much about Pittsburgh, but that is the Orange's next contest. It's on December 30th. It tips off at noon in the Dome. And if you're looking for it, you can't find it. It's because it's on the CW. So, you know, you take the good with the bad, the ACC. And since, what, Bally Sports whatever, or we can't put games on Yes anymore. I was going to say, are there still games on Yes? Yeah. I I, I fondly remember the Yankee game. Well, not the Yankee, the Yankees network hosting Syracuse basketball. It would go from Yankees hot stove right into uh, Q-Soups. Whatever works. I mean, as long as the game's on TV and it's not on ESPN Plus, I have no reason to complain. Trying to watch that Wagner football game a couple of years ago on, like, that was. That oh, was tough to navigate. That yes. was the headache of my life because that was back before I had ESPN Plus, And I, I was searching for every stream I could find in the book and nobody had it because it was Syracuse and Wagner. But anyways, back back to the topic at hand here. We talked about the the non-conference wins not being so great. Well, Pittsburgh is going to be the best team Syracuse can compete with on their schedule thus far. I think we can both agree that the Orange weren't ready to throw punches with Tennessee and kind of got run off the floor by Gonzaga there. But Syracuse can really hang with Pittsburgh because Pitt's game is all predicated on the three-point shot. Over 45% of Pitt's field goals come from behind the arc. And they shoot 35% as a team, which is uh, in it's in a 110th, I think, in the country. So it's not a team that is super efficient, but almost hearkening back to Cornell, Johnny. They're going to take almost the first shot they can get. And Blake Hinson, as we mentioned, can really knock it down if you give him space. And if he heats up, you better watch out because he could torch Syracuse. It definitely helps the Orange that they've seen Cornell to get that kind of similar style of play and know what they're going up against so it doesn't come as a surprise. But, Ian, I look at these two teams, they're pretty similar right now. I mean, right, both in that kind of mid-tier of the conference as far as what they've done so far, taking care of business against the teams that they're supposed to and maybe struggled against the teams you expected them to struggle against. They both had wins over Canisius right around the same margin, SUV Canisius by 12, Pitt beat Canisius by 11. You look at the makeup of this Pitt team and a Pitt team that Syracuse is going to see now twice over the course of the next few weeks. They'll play on December the 30th, as you mentioned, and then again coming up in a couple of weeks at the Pete in mid-January. But I think for Syracuse, this is a game you can go out there and you can make a statement, 
right? Because it's a winnable game. It's not against a top-tier conference opponent, but it's a game that, okay, you go out there, you show what you can do, you find a way to grab a win on home court after a layoff that gets everybody to rest up, get those legs fresh and ready to roll. Particularly when you talk about the schedule the Orange have coming up, Ian, which we have documented in terms of some tough opponents looming large in the very near future. I think this is a win that might not seem like a lot surface level, still January, haven't even flipped the calendar yet. One of the early conference games, kind of that weird time, students home on break. I think this win could speak volumes if Syracuse goes out there and finds a way to get it done. I don't want to overlook Pitt, Johnny, because you make it sound like this is a game that Syracuse can and maybe should win. Uh, no, Pitt beat the brakes off Syracuse. Not should, not should, but can. Definitely but, can. But Pitt, we should acknowledge that Pitt beat the crap out of Syracuse last year. That was when the Orange were on their historic season down slide, giving up 90 points to anyone that walked in the gym, including probably J- JD's JV team. But Pitt still is going to score. They are going to run. Almost every game they've played has been in the 80s, except for a clunker against the fighting John Nolans, Indiana, Purdue, Fort Wayne. Uh, That was a 62-48 win on December 20th. And we've kind of talked about how those games go. You know, no one's in the stands, right? Everyone is ready to go home for Christmas and the holidays. So now the students won't be back, but Pitt comes to the Dome, where one by two last year, and has to rely on a freshman point guard. We should we should make this make this a point of of interest here. Carlton Carrington is is really good. He is a very good player. He dishes the ball very well. He has about thirty percent of Pitt's assists on the year. Not a huge score. His scoring numbers have tailed off going against better competition, and he only scored. Five against South Carolina State of all teams. As someone who lives in a MEAC and calls games for a MEAC team, I can tell you, South Carolina State, uh, nothing to be too afraid of. But Carlton Carrington is big. He's long. He's six foot five, and I would assume that he's probably getting some defensive responsibility when it comes to handling Judamints. I don't know how much, but if he can. If he draws a couple fouls, if Judah gets after him early, then that's a huge advantage because Jeff Capel's freshman point guard is no longer running their offense. He also really prioritizes taking care of the basketball, which is impressive when you consider how much this guy does have the ball in his hands. Ian turns it over under two two times per game. Yeah, he's only played 12 of them in his college career. Right which you don't see a lot as a freshman. A lot of time that's part of the freshman growing pains, right? You turn the ball over. Not the case with this kid whatsoever. I look elsewhere up and down this pit roster. I mean, we talked about Hinson. He's the guy to know. I'm curious to see what the defensive philosophy for Syracuse is going to be to try to limit Hinson and try to shut him down. Like, who are you throwing on Blake Hinson from a body standpoint to try to limit his success? And if plan A doesn't work, how quick are you to pull the trigger to go to plan B, plan C, or do you just stick to your formula and acknowledge that, okay, look, this guy is going to find a way to put the ball in the cup no matter what we throw at him. I, so don't, I, think- I don't want to Jordan rules Blake Hinson. Syracuse yeah. should not be doing that. But at the same time, this is not a game. This is not a zone game. This is not a zone game for Syracuse. You have to play man-to-man. And you just have to stick with it, even if some of the stuff, like even if Hinson gets some buckets, I think you have to stick with man to man and just run guys at him if need be. This would be a great game for Benny Williams to decide that he is yeah, ready to lock it in on defense. Correct. Because physicality do you, do you wise, Bell locking down Blake Hinson for north of twenty minutes. No, but I, physicality wise and just like body build wise, Benny is best equipped to deal with Hinson, who's totally say two thirty and kind of looks like a running back if we're being right. completely honest like he is very solidly built and has wide shoulders like he can get past people just by you know doing walking like Vince McMahon down to the ring so I think that's where Benny could really be big time down low the Diaz grand brothers we talked about them they're gonna play volleyball they're gonna block shots 
Um, they're going to rebound too, which really concerns me, especially if they're on the floor at the same time. Um, I mean, Naheem McLeod is big, but they also Pitt also brings Federico Federico to the table, which is yes. a name that should sound familiar too. He was on. He started last, last year, year, yeah, right, and he's starting this year too. He's he started ten of the twelve games that he's played in. So this is a Pitt team that has a lot of size. Rarely will you see the Diaz Graham twins Hinson and Federico all out there at the no, same time. That would be an ugly not. lineup. But at the same token, this this is a team that has some serious size and. Syracuse, I'm not sure they've played a team this big all year yet, Ian, right? So could be a really intriguing game to see what is going to happen if McLeod is struggling. Probably not going to see a ton of Malik at the five this game just because of the nature of how this pit team is built. I'm keying in on Hema. Benny, too. Hema. Hema and Benny. Hema. Yeah, yeah, totally. As, as you know, Mike hit it on the head. Munir Hema is a guy that will give you good minutes, and he's an active shot blocker and rebounder. That's about what you need against the Diaz Grand Brothers, who might shoot a couple threes, but mainly they're in there to catch lobs and rebound. So you just need someone that can thwart a lob or two and rebound. Same thing goes for Federico. Not a post score, nothing, nothing of that nature. Those guys are just there to be big. So Syracuse has to limit that and stop Hinson. And if if all that goes well, I, I don't. I think the Orange can score with it. I'm not too concerned about that, but. Definitely concerned about the size and the three-point shooting. This, the zone this is a out. game where we we might need to see Syracuse prove to us and to everybody else that they are capable of getting some big stops down the stretch, yeah. right? Well, we haven't seen them excel in that department yet. We haven't really seen a game all too much where Syracuse has needed big stop after big stop defensively putting the clamps down with under two minutes to go. This this very well could be one of those games. And you can't just throw the press at Pitt like you did at Colgate and hope that the freshman point guard coughs it up. So very interesting contest. Second ACC game, but this really begins conference play for the Orange. A noon tip-off on Saturday, and we will catch you up on our thoughts and recap the action next Monday. Thanks for sticking with us here to the end. I hope you enjoyed our conversation with Mike. He was fantastic as always. And we hope you enjoy the game on Saturday. For Johnny Gadamwitz, Ian Unsworth signing off. Drop us a follow, F68 underscore Cuse. And make sure to subscribe on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Enjoy your weekend. Happy holidays. Happy New Year. And go Orange. Spring is in the air at Littleton Coin Company, and we want to help you brighten your collection. Visit us at littletoncoin.com all month long to enjoy 15% off your purchase. With a wide selection of coins, paper money, supplies, and more, Littleton Coin Company has something for every collector's taste. Use promo code SPRING at littletoncoin.com for 15% off your purchase all month long. Restrictions apply. Littleton Coin Company. Serving collectors since 1945.